In Arabic, Abdal also means modem, i.e. a pauper who has lost all his savings. Thus, he qualified himself to being an Abdal of this kind too, because had he been financially blessed, he would not have knocked upon the door of Christian missionaries in the last days of his life seeking employment like a beggar from those who perforce teach against Islam in their schools and colleges. It is certainly not the way of a true Muslim to seek their employment. It is indeed a great pity that this man named Sadullah, who had died, had listened to some of my oral discourses and had an ample opportunity to study my books, yet prejudice and bias are such a curse on account of which nothing was of avail to him. Hazrat Isa, having suffered death, was not anything doubtful. Allah the Exalted had spelled it out in the Holy Quran, and his Prophet had seen him in the company of the deceased prophets during the night of Miraj. While on the other hand, it is also proven from the Holy Quran and Hadith that all Islamic Khulafa, successors to the Holy Prophet's spiritual leaders, will come from among this very Ummah. Indeed, the Ahadith also state that the Isa who is to descend will be from among this very Ummah. Despite all this, that unfortunate one failed to understand. Also, according to the earlier scriptures and authentic ahadith, the great sign of the last Messiah that had been given was that his coming would be simultaneous with the appearance of the Dajjal. Moreover, the Holy Quran has shown that the Dajjal means the band of Christian missionaries whose lifelong pastime is to distort and tamper with the original text, because Dajjal means none other than the one who hides the truth by distorting the original and tampering with it. And it is to this very point that Surah Al-Fatiha draws our attention. The meaning of the term Dajjal is none other than one who deceives, misleads, and tampers with the word of God. It is such a one who is called Dajjal. It is so evident that the Christian missionaries are experts at this task more than anyone else because the Dajjal Deceit and deception practiced by others is comparatively mild, but the Dajjal on their part is so great that they are spending tens of millions of rupees to somehow or other raise a human being to the station of God. They have published hundreds of thousands of books and periodicals all over the world, and they travel to the ends of the earth with the same purpose in mind. This is why they are the greatest Dajjal, and indeed in the context of the divine prophecy, there is no room for any other Dajjal because it is also there on record that the Dajjal will issue forth from within a church and from among a people who shall rule the world, and that their power and rule will last until the day of judgment. Under the prevailing conditions, is there any remaining part of the earth where the hypothetical Dajjal of our opponents will make his appearance? Footnote end. Also, the Quranic verse stating, will place those who follow thee above those who disbelieve until the day of resurrection. Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 56 of the Holy Quran, proves that the Dajjal will not be any group other than the Christians, since prevalence and dominance until the day of judgment is destined either for the Christians or for the Muslims who are the true followers. How can anyone with faith ever imagine that someone else who is opposed to Hazrat Isa and denies his prophethood will establish his dominance over the world. Such a thought is in clear contradiction to the inconvertible intent of the Holy Quran. Likewise, the hadith pertaining to the prophecy contained in Sahih Muslim, that the Dajjal will issue forth from a church, supports the verse of the Holy Quran just mentioned. 
and events also make this apparent for the great tribulation that had been prophesied was ultimately brought about at the hands of the Christian missionaries. One hallmark of a man's wisdom is that he should keep an eye on events and reflect upon the aspects that are supported by the events as they unfold. God has likened this world to a single day in which the epoch of the Holy Prophet is likened to Asr, late afternoon. Then if the age of the Holy Prophet was likened to Asr, how should we, after the year 1324 of Hijrah, designate the present age? Is this age then not close to sunset? If so, and if this is still not the time for the advent of the Messiah, then there would surely be no time left for his coming after this. Similarly, in authentic ahadiths, some of which are found in Sahih Bukhari, the epoch of the Holy Prophet is likened unto the time of Asr, so one has to accept that our own age is close to the time of the resurrection. It is also learned from some other ahadiths that the age limit of the present world is 7,000 years. This sense is also supported by the following Quranic verse in which God says, meaning that, Verily a day with your Lord is as 1,000 years of your reckoning. In Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse 48 of the Holy Quran. Thus, since we learn from the world of Allah the Exalted that there are but seven days, there emerges an indication that the lifespan of the human species is 7,000 years. God has also revealed to me that the numeric value of the letters in Surah Al-Asr, according to the Jumal system, is the number of lunar years lived by the human species until the blessed time of the Holy Prophet Footnote start. In the Arabic Jamal system, also known as Abjad, each letter in the alphabet corresponds to a specific numerical value. Footnote end. Because God has used the lunar calendar in accordance with this reckoning, our human species thus far has lived out 6,000 years of its life and now we are into the seventh millennium. It was therefore necessary that the like of Adam, who in other words is referred to as the promised Messiah, should be born at the end of the sixth millennium, which is symbolized by Friday, the day on which Adam was born. So was I brought into being by God. Thus, according to all this, I was born in the sixth millennium. And this is a strange coincidence that I was born on a Friday according to the calendar in use, also, just as Adams, the progenitors, were born male and female, so was I born as a twin. A girl was with me who was born first, and then I was born after her. These are the facts of my life, which provide the seeker after truth with clear evidence. In addition, there are thousands of other signs, some of which have already been recorded by way of illustration. It must be borne in mind that upon hearing my signs, it is the habit of Mawli Sana'ullah under the impulse of his Abu Jahl-like nature to present half-baked excuses to justify his rejection of these signs. On this occasion, he had also demonstrated this same habit of his, and based on sheer falsehood, he had written concerning me in his paper Ahle Hadith, dated February 8, 1907, that the revelation I had received regarding Mavi Abdul Karim's health, that he would certainly recover, was false, for he died in the end. What answer can I give to such falsehood except the curse of Allah be upon the liars? Will Mavi Sanala kindly explain that if the above-mentioned revelation was in fact received about Mavi Abdul Karim recovering his health, 
than about whom were the following revelations that have been published in the Badr and Al-Hakam newspapers. Quote, was wrapped up in a shrub, 47 years of age, surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was not destined to recover. The arrows of death cannot be averted. Quote end. Let it be clearly known that all these revelations were about Mawi Abdul Karim, except that I had once seen him in a dream, as if he had recovered, but dreams are subject to interpretation. If you consult books about interpretation of dreams, you will find that death sometimes means health, and health sometimes means death. It often happens that in a dream, one sees the death of a person, and the interpretation is an extension of his life. This is the state of those Malvis who are renowned as being highly trustworthy. There is no evil deed worse than lying in the world. God compares such lying to filth, yet these people do not avoid such filth. I have so clearly demonstrated Sadullah's death in accordance with the prophecy, but will Mawi Sanaullah accept and acknowledge it? No, not at all. He will instead try to reject it one way or another. These people are at war with God Almighty. They failed to see that had this been a man-made scheme, it would not have been attended by such blessings. Can any honest person ascribe such actions to the God of honor and glory that he should grant a reprieve lasting 30 to 32 years to a person after his claiming to be the recipient of revelation and bestow upon his movement prosperity and progress day by day? At a time when he did not have even a single follower, he gave him the glad tiding that, Hundreds of thousands of people shall be made to enter your movement, and people will give you hundreds of thousands of rupees and a variety of gifts and presents. Thousands of people will flock to you from distant places, so much so that the roads they travel on will develop ruts in them and become scarred with ditches. You should not become weary on account of the abundance of visitors. Be not impolite to them. God will spread your fame throughout the world, and he will show you manifest magnificent signs in your support. God will not rest content until he has made truth distinct from falsehood. Your enemies will try hard and resort to all kinds of fabrication, deceit, and stratagems, but God will frustrate them in their designs. God shall be with you at every step, and he will grant you success in every field. Subhanallah. A warner came into the world, but the world did not accept him, but God shall accept him and manifest his truth with powerful assaults. I shall demonstrate my light and shall raise you with the demonstration of my power. I shall protect you from every attack of your enemies, even if the people do not save you. Even if people shall no regard for your safety, I will certainly protect you. These are the revelations from more than 30 years ago, and all of them have been published in Brahim Ahmadiyya more than 26 years ago. This was a time when nobody knew me. I had no friend nor enemy, for I was at that time a mere nothing, just from one from among the ordinary people, concealed in anonymity and obscurity. Then gradually things began to improve, and all that had been prophesied some 30 to 32 years earlier came to be manifested. And so far, several hundreds of thousands of people have come to Qadian and have joined the system of Ba'ath, Pledge of Allegiance. And in reality, people came to Qadian to perform the Ba'ath in such large numbers that meeting them all would have exhausted me had I not remembered this revelation. Do not turn away from Allah's creatures and be not tired of people. I would have failed to adequately discharge the requirements of good high morals had Allah the Exalted in His kindness and mercy 
not inform me of these events some 30 to 32 years ago. God has helped me financially too. This can be verified from the records of the money orders I have received through the post office. I have so far received several hundred thousand rupees. In addition, there is the money people offer in person or otherwise, sent by post in the shape of currency notes. The different departments of my community also cost approximately 3,000 rupees per month. It is evident from this that the current monthly income is about the same, whereas the time when the prophecy pertaining to financial victories was published in Brahina Ahmadiyya, no one contributed even a single penny per year, nor was there any hope of any such income. And 30 to 32 years have elapsed since this prophecy was made and it belongs to a time when not a single penny would come from anyone, and no one as yet had entered into my jamaat. I was rather like the seed that lay hidden beneath the soil, as God Almighty himself testified about me in Brahine Ahmadiyya, published 26 years ago, and the revelation reads as follows, meaning that, Lord, do not leave me alone, and you are the best of inheritors. From this, it is clear that at the time when this prophecy was made, I was all alone. And then, there is another revelation about me recorded in Brahina Ahmadiyya, which is as follows, meaning that I was like the seed sown in the earth. In addition to these revelations, all the residents of this town and thousands of others know that at that time I was in fact like a corpse that had been buried for centuries within a grave, and no one knew whose grave it is. Subsequently, Allah the Exalted manifested such wondrous glimpses of his power as constitute clear proof of his existence. And then Allah the Exalted did not stop at this. He granted acceptance to hundreds of my supplications, some of which are recorded in this book by way of examples. In every legal case filed against me, I alone was victorious, and God informed me in advance of each verdict that your enemy would be defeated. And everyone who entered into the Mubahila with me, God Almighty either caused him to die, or a life of humiliation or paucity, of means became his lot, or his lineal descent was cut off, and those who sought my death and abused me ultimately died themselves. And God manifested so many signs in my support that they cannot be counted. Let any wise person who fears God and is moved by his majesty and is reasonable enough to have regard for decency and honor, judge for himself whether the way of God is such that he treats anyone whom he knows to be an impostor, and who lives in his name the way he treats me. I assert with absolute truth that I was young when I started having these revelations, and now I am old and almost seventy years of age, but over this period of thirty-five years my God did not separate himself from me even for a single day. In accordance with his prophecies, he caused a large part of the world to incline toward me. I was poor and penniless. He gave me hundreds of thousands of rupees and informed me beforehand of these great financial victories. He granted me victory in every mubahila, accepted hundreds of my prayers, and blessed me with innumerable bounties. Is it therefore conceivable that God would show such grace and kindness to a person who he knows lies in his name? Also, in the opinion of my opponents, I have been fabricating lies in the name of God for the last 30 to 32 years, and that what I fabricate during the night I present in the morning as the word of God. And yet, as a result, God still grants me victories over those who style themselves true believers. Moreover, on the occasion of a mubahila, 
He either causes those who are opposed to me to die or disgraces them with humiliation. Additionally, in keeping with his prophecies, he is bringing people towards me and manifesting thousands of signs. He helps me in every conflict, in every way, and at the time of every difficulty. He never vouchsafes such help to anyone unless they are truthful, nor does he manifest such signs in their support. It is quite remarkable that except me, all those who claim to be mujaddids, like Nawab Siddiq Hassan Khan of Bhopal and Malvi Abdul Hayy of Lucknow, died at the very beginning of the 14th century, and by the grace of Allah the Exalted, I have witnessed a quarter part of the century, and Nawab Siddiq Hassan Khan of Bhopal writes in his book Hijaj al-Kirama that a true mujaddid is one who is granted at least a quarter of a century. Now, O oh my opponents, be fair at least in something. After all, you are accountable to God. Footnote end. Even then, if Mavi Sanallah, who nowadays exceeds the other clerics in deriding, ridiculing, and abusing me, does not stop his foul behavior, I would happily accept an offer to enter into a mubahila with him. But this mubahila will not be held in Amritsar. I still have not forgotten the treatment meted out to me by the Ahl Hadith of that area when I rose to describe the beauties of Islamic teachings there in a gathering. As everyone knows, they prevented me from delivering my address by raising a clamor and violating all norms of decent behavior. And when I boarded my carriage to leave, it was pelted with stones, with no regard even to the authorities. Such a place is therefore not fit for holding a mubahila. Qadian, on the other hand, is entirely suitable. Here I shall be personally responsible for the honor and safety of Mali Sanaula. I also undertake to pay all the traveling expenses incurred in his journey from Amritsar to Qadian and back. But the condition precedent will be that for two hours I shall explain to him why I claim to be truthful. In case he dislikes the idea of coming to Qadian, Mubahila can still be held in the following manner. First, I shall make sure that Mavi Sanallah has read all the arguments I have recorded in the book Hakikatul Wahi. I shall ask only 10 questions based on different parts of this book, Hakikatul Wahi, with a view to determining whether or not he has studied the book with complete attention. Then, if he answers these 10 questions in accord with the contents of this book, the written text of Umubahla between the two sides will be published. If he agrees to this method, I will send him a copy of my book, Hakikatul Wahi, and thus we will settle this long-drawn-out daily controversy once and for all. We will, of course, have the option after receiving the book to request a couple of weeks' grace with the view to prepare for the aforementioned examination. I say truthfully that he and his ulema brethren, in attempting to contradict me, pay scant regard to the sharia. Rather, they manufacture a new sharia of their own. Whilst claiming to be Malvis, are they yet unaware that prophecies of warning can be averted? If a person against whom Allah the Exalted reveals a prophecy containing a warning repents and exhibits remorse and humility and no longer shows arrogance, the fulfillment of the prophecy can be averted. For instance, the Prophet Yunus's prophecy concerning his people was averted on account of their crying and wailing and showing remorse. This even became a great trial for Prophet Yunus. He was unable to understand why the prophecy had been averted. That is why God put him into the belly of a whale. If a dear prophet of God earned his displeasure on account of his failure to fully understand the prerogative of God, the Sovereign Lord, and landed himself at death's door, 
how much more dreadful would the plight be of those who are not only guilty of denying such divine prerogative with great audacity, but also of doing so with great temerity and disrespect. With great daring, they repeatedly allege that the prophecy about Atham was not fulfilled, but take pains not to mention the condition precedent to its fulfillment. Can this be called honesty? There was not even a condition specified in the prophecy made by Prophet Yunus, yet God, at the sight of the repentance and remorseful cries of his people, warded off the imminent chastisement. In the same vein, Malvisanala repeatedly mentions Ahmed Ber's son-in-law, insisting that he did not die as was prophesied, yet he is quite aware that the prophecy consisted of two parts. One part was about Ahmed Ber. As a result, Ahmed Ber died in strict conformity with the prophecy and within the prescribed time frame. The pity is that Sanaullah and the other opponents of mine take precaution to avoid any mention of the death of Ahmed Ber and mention only the second part of the prophecy, that is to say that his son-in-law is still alive. Footnote start. Keep in mind that Mali Sanaullah has not merely objected to these prophecies, but rather has made several assaults on my prophecies by way of imposture, which amount to partaking of filth. But since God Almighty is providing ever fresh responses, I do not care for his criticisms. Footnote end. This, in sum, is the so-called integrity of these people. They conceal the truth that has been manifested, yet present the part that is awaiting manifestation as an objection. They know very well that the prophecy about Ahmed Ber and his son-in-law was conditional, just like the prophecy about Atham. The text pertaining to the condition has already been published and is as follows. Meaning, O woman, repent. Repent for the calamity is on your daughter and daughter's daughter. This is the word of God and had been published beforehand. Subsequently, when Ahmed Ber's death, which was one part of the prophecy, cast extreme fear in the hearts of his relatives, and they thought that the second part of the prophecy would be similarly fulfilled, for when one part of the prophecy had been fulfilled within the prescribed time frame, they were terror-stricken, preoccupying themselves in almsgiving, penitence, and remorsefully seeking forgiveness. The result was that Allah the Exalted delayed the fulfillment of the prophecy. And as I have already pointed out, these people were so awe-stricken because this prophecy was not only about Ahmed Ber's son-in-law, but also about the death of Ahmed Ber himself. Indeed, the prime target of the prophecy was none other than he himself. Thus, when Ahmed Ber died within the prescribed time limit and the prophecy was fulfilled with total clarity, the hearts of his relatives were filled with extreme fear, and they wept and cried so much that their wails could be heard from the ends of the town. They would quote the prophecy again and again, and to the best of their capacity, busied themselves in remorseful penitence, istighfar, seeking forgiveness, and almsgiving. It was then that God the Benevolent, too, delayed the fulfillment of the prophecy. Footnote start. These people also object that an attempt was made for the fulfillment of the prophecy. It seems that either these people are ignorant of the Holy Quran or have secretly put on the garb of apostasy. O oh, ignorant people, God has not declared any attempts at the fulfillment of prophecies to be unlawful. Do you not even remember the hadith in which it is written that Hazrat Umar made a companion of Holy Prophet wear gold bangles with a view to fulfilling a prophecy? There is also hadith that says that if you see a dream or a vision 
and you can yourself make it come true, then try to make it come true by your own efforts. Footnote end. How shameful it is then to go around shouting that a certain prophecy has not been fulfilled, despite the knowledge that prophecies of forewarning can be averted and have always been averted. Footnote start. Today on the morning of Thursday, February 28, 1907, I received this revelation. A severe earthquake came and it will also rain today. Your arrival is a source of joy. Your arrival is a source of blessings. Footnote end. It seems that these people have no faith in Allah the Exalted. There is certainly a limit to such audacity and denial, and to cross this limit is a sure sign of impending chastisement from Allah the Exalted. I keep wondering how the plague is running rampant throughout our environs. How God has warned of very serious earthquakes and how signs of the Day of Judgment are being manifested, but I cannot understand why these people are still not fearful. Footnote start. I swear in the name of Allah the Exalted and declare that in the context of my own person and about my friends, by way of prophecy, God forewarned of an imminent catastrophe this morning, which was averted in the evening because of fervent prayers, and I was given the glad tiding that we have averted the catastrophe. Therefore, if my enemies only have these arguments with which to reject me, then they should know that there are hundreds of examples of such incidents in my own life and in the lives of my dear ones. What is amazing is that my opponents forget all those incidents which they study themselves in the commentaries of the Holy Quran and in the Hadith. For instance, it is recorded in their acknowledged commentaries that there was an Israelite king about whom the prophet of that time had prophesied that he would die within 15 days. Upon hearing this prophecy, that king cried and wept so much that the prophet again received another revelation that I have changed his 15 days into 15 years. This prophecy is still recorded in the Bible. Anyone who desires may consult it. Footnote end. This is why I was impelled to write today, that if Mali Sanala of Amritsar does not desist from his audacity, the only remedy is that he should ask for a Mubahila. It is also his misfortune that, arrogantly relying on some contradictory ahadith, he denies the fresh signs of God Almighty, and in order to mislead the public, repeatedly quotes prophecies of warning, while he knows himself that sometimes averting or delaying a prophecy of warning is part of Allah's law and practice. Footnote start. It must be borne in mind that it is completely false to claim that the Ahadith testify to the physical descent of Hazrat Isa al-Islam from the skies, because authentic Hadiths prove that the Messiah who is to come shall be raised from among this very Ummah. Why then resort to the artificiality of bringing down Hazrat Isa from the heavens and make him enter the rank and file of the Ummah and dismiss him from his erstwhile prophethood? Can Allah the Exalted not raise an Isa from among the present Ummah quite like the Prophet Elias, Elijah? In the presence of an appropriate president, why resort to extraordinary measures? Furthermore, in the same Ahadith, it is also written that the Holy Prophet وسلم, on the night of Miraj, Ascension, saw Hazrat Isa among the deceased prophets sitting next to Hazrat Yahya, John. So now what doubt remains about his death? Furthermore, the Holy Quran also clearly testifies to his death. Is the verse, but since you did cause me to die, Surah Al-Maidah chapter 5, verse 118, not the final and critical proof of his death? 
And why do they emphasize physical ascension? Is ascension not a spiritual phenomenon? The verse proclaims aloud that this elevation is a spiritual one because it is mentioned after the term Dawafi, to cause to die. And why do they raise the objection that his coming should also be accompanied by the Mahdi? Do they not remember the Hadith? There is no Mahdi except Esau. Footnote end. Moreover, who does not know that an impending affliction can be warded off by charity, almsgiving, humility, and prayer? The prophets are unanimous on this. Thus, if a prophetic warning of an impending affliction cannot be averted, what meaning would the term Radebala, warding off an affliction, have? It should be borne in mind that consistent with the age-old practice of Allah, prophecies of this type are never free from some form of test and trial. Such prophecies are susceptible to interpretations. This is why one can misunderstand their true meaning before they actually happen. Their real import is unfolded only in the end. This is why despite the presence of the prophecy about the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Jews were not fortunate enough to believe in him. Had this prophecy contained the elucidation that the name of this last prophet would be Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that the name of his father would be Abdullah, that his birthplace would be Makkah, that he would migrate to Medina, that he would be born at such a specified period of time after Prophet Musa, Moses, and that he would belong to the house of Ismail and not the house of Israel. Then the unfortunate Jews would not have gone to hell on account of their rejecting the Holy Prophet Similarly, had it been stated in the prophecy concerning Hazrat Isa Islam, in clear words that the Prophet Elias, Elijah, whose descent from the heavens was a prerequisite, would be none other than Yahya, John himself, son of Zechariah, Zechariah, and that no one would descend from the skies, then why would the unfortunate Jews have entered hell by refusing to accept Hazrat Isa? Thus, since the prophecy concerning our own holy prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was not free from a test, the elucidation of which had been very beneficial and was necessary for mankind at large, and people committed mistakes in interpreting even this prophecy, then it is very likely that other prophecies may be misinterpreted too. Similarly, the prophecy about Hazrat Isa was not free from test and trial, as such, how could the prophecy about the promised Messiah and Mahdi be free from such trials? Did Prophet Elias come back into the world before the Messiah as was the general presumption and belief of the Jewish scholars, and as it indeed remains so today? How then is it possible to entertain the hope for the second coming of Hazrat Isa al-Islam? The hallmark of a believer is that once a certain belief has been proven false, they should never mention it again for the rest of their lives. Have the expectations of the Jews about the second coming of Elias been fulfilled so that now those of the Muslims should also be fulfilled? As recorded in Hadith, a believer is not bitten from the same hole twice. The truth is that the reality of such immensely glorious prophecies are manifested by the age in which these prophecies are fulfilled. Prior to that, the righteous and God-fearing keep faith in the prophecies of Allah the Exalted, but they leave their details in the care of God. Meanwhile, those who meddle with them beforehand and insist upon their own interpretation are the ones who stumble and make errors.